You are listening to the... Which podcast is this again, Rebecca? The St. Louis Red Army. That's right. The St. Louis Red Army Podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome to the St. Louis Red Army Podcast. I'm your host, Rhett Oldham, along with TK, Matt Hutchinson, and Ryan Cassad is out on assignment, but we're uh, really looking forward to uh, seeing him next week. So but we have a lot to talk about. I, I can't believe it because, for one, there hasn't been footy in forever. But there is tons to talk about, and I can't wait to get started. So uh, really what we're going to focus on today, and we probably haven't done that enough in previous, the last couple podcasts, although guy, uh, I want to focus on Manchester United a lot. Um, I want to talk about the state of football. But, uh, I, I want to talk about it last episode just for a second and, and kind of get your thoughts now that you had a chance to reflect on that. Was Sean Tracy's talking about what happened in Hillsborough, one of the coolest things you've ever sat in on. I, I, man, I was so impressed with that. It was so detailed. And, and to the fact where geography, knowing where people would walk into the stadium, um, you know, that type of detail to, to a world that, you know, we, we have some listeners abroad, but, you know, it's just it's, – it's Cubs, Cardinals times a thousand. It's Blues, Blackhawks times a thousand. Um, you just, it, 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 it's a life, it's a, it's a life over there that went a little too far, you know, and it's just crazy. It, it's absolutely crazy. And just to have that detail from Sean, you know, I, I, we're lucky to have him be one of us, um, to share these experiences through his life. Most definitely. Yeah. Matt? Yeah. I, I loved hearing Sean's side of the whole thing. I mean, he wasn't there that day, but he was at a lot of matches where that exact same thing could have happened. And when you watch the 30 for 30 or you read other articles, I think there's been um, a perspective out there that the fans were responsible. And I think when you hear Sean talk about it, it wasn't that set of fans that were necessarily responsible. It could have been any set of fans responsible. United fans could have rushed in that day. So I think it was just the nature of the stadium setup and how security was ran and, and how fans try to get into those games. So, you know, when, when people talk about, you know, the Liverpool fans being at fault, it, it could have been any other group of fans that were at fault. And that was a perspective I don't think I've ever really taken away from any other version of the story I've heard. So that was really neat hearing Sean talk about it. And, you know, I'm just grateful that, you know, sporting events today are at a place where I can feel comfortable taking my kids you know, without fear of them getting trampled or, you know, stuff thrown at them. And, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to go and enjoy the game. I couldn't imagine trying to go in some of those environments where you're more afraid of getting trampled over than watching the game. So really appreciate his perspective. That was awesome. Yeah, and I, I know one thing I didn't talk about last week. Uh, let me jump in here. Uh, one thing I didn't talk about last week was that uh, when I went to the Bundesliga game in uh, uh, on March 1st, uh, when I saw uh, Berlin Union versus Wolfsburg, I, I was in a standing section, and, uh, which is very, very common. I was in the Wolfsburg away section, and then I didn't feel uh, uh, insecure. I felt like, you know, man, people were going to rush me at all. Man, it was, you know, plenty of room. And so, but it was a fun atmosphere because, I mean, you're standing all game and lots of chance, flags are waving, you know, they're, they're beating the drums. That's a phenomenal atmosphere. Go ahead, PK. Well, I was going to say, like, I, I mean, I, I know I've given Chicago Blackhawk fans enough grief at blues games and it's just upped in Europe. Uh, I, I remember coming, I spent two weeks in Europe uh, when I was in college with father Smith from SLU. He's now the pastor at the, at the old cathedral. And um, 
I, I wore I was so proud to wear my Roy Keane jersey I got made at Old Trafford that that was the one thing I, I'm getting a Roy Keane jersey at Old Trafford and I'm wearing this thing home and I caught so much trouble from everyone at Heathrow <laughs> like everyone there's another game going home like hey, you you, under, you understand soccer when you go to watch it over there and all that and um you see how it, it, it just – it's seeped in. And I understand that with my hatred for the Blackhawks and I hate my hatred for the Cubs, but it's another level over there and it just expanded. And, and, and Sean kind of gave the – you know, it could have been any other club at that time. It was just the wrong club, the wrong time, the wrong people at the right place for that to happen. And, and I think clubs have mm. since done what they can to make it better. And I, I think fans realized, yeah, we overshot what we should be as as supporters group and and all that too. So I mean, we've all seen Green Street. Yeah. Fans. Yeah. One last thing, I, I'll I'll post a link of it to uh, uh, the title in in the description of the podcast and out in the group too. But there's a book I read about how soccer can explain the economics and this you know the societal makeup of of a country or a culture. And I think Sean really touched on a lot where he said that during that time, the economics were really, really tough. And so there was a lot of built up angst and, and anger and frustration where, you know, grown men would go out to the games and they would take that out amongst other people while they're at the game. That was a way they expressed themselves was through a lot of that chaos and that violence. And so I think as, as culture has changed and, and the makeup of the society has changed, things have calmed down. So I thought that was an interesting perspective you brought into it as well. I'll, I'll share that book. It was, it was really interesting. It talked about, I think, five or six different countries and what goes on within the club and the team and the players demonstrates a lot of the reality that's happening in the country at the time. So I think that was probably you know, a big part of the reason that that incident happened as well was just what was going on in England at the time in the economy. Well, and a lot of the Liverpool-Manchester rivalry is Manchester got all the shipping contracts. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. it was the same. Like, you look at St. Louis, Chicago. St. Louis could have been yeah. the big city. Chicago became the city. Um, you look at Seattle, right. Portland. You know, it just is a lot of it comes out of economics. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. All right, guys. Uh, like I said, that was. One of the coolest discussions uh, that, that we've had on the podcast. And just love that so much. And, and we've, we've had awesome. a lot of great ones. And so, all right, here we go. So, first, uh, uh, we're going to talk about the state of football, talk about uh, Manchester United, latest to greatest. And we got some bits and bobs. And then we got a little, little bit going on with SDLFC that we want to go over as well. And uh, so, lots to talk about. So, here we go. First, uh, Bundesliga. All right, boys. I, I know Matt, man, he's already got his. Uh, 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 Matt, Matt, what's your who's your team again? FC Cologne. Yeah, that's right, man. The Billy Goats. The Billy, the Billy Goats. Goats. <laughs> that's right, man. So I'm actually going to be watching Borussia Dortmund uh, on Saturday with the uh, uh, Dortmund uh, SDL Dortmund guys, and uh, uh, they're going to have a Zoom going on. Why the match is going on? That's going to be a good time. PK, who's your German team, man? Bayern Munich. Uh, my freshman year at CBC oh. Glory Days. Uh, my gift for my brother for going to CBC because he was a graduate, he was a class of 89, I was 02, was a Bayern Munich jersey. Um, I, will oh, tell, wow. I will tell you the story beyond that off air. Um, but yeah, Bayern <laughs> Munich has always been, um, been the team I watched, you know, thanks for letting us win the Champions League. But uh, yeah, that's my German team. Uh, and you know what? 
I'm watching Josh Argent too. Man, the kid can play. I watched him play at yep. 15, 16 years old. The kid's 20 now. And um, he, he's very, very exciting for U.S. soccer. Um, and so uh, we got we got the Bundesliga starting. Boy, they're taking all these precautions with the team, although uh, there's a second uh, division team in the Bundesliga that they've had to quarantine the entire team because uh, we had, I think, three players turn positive for COVID. Uh, but Bundesliga, they have all the setups for making sure that people are tested, uh, the players are tested, and, and there's uh, proper social distancing before the matches and all that kind of stuff. Do you guys think that the Premier League is really going to have to take the lead from what Germany and the Bundesliga is doing right now? Uh, do you think that's kind of the template for what uh, the, the Premier League should do when they open up what we look like is mid-June? Yeah, I, I, I think they're going to have to. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what protocols work and, and don't work. So Germany's certainly going to be the um, – the uh you know the, the the test of what this is all going to shake out and how it's going to work you know you've got london who's now approved for it to start in july you've got you know arizona here in the u.s just approved for pro sports to start here soon so i think you know with germany going first and being one of the big leagues they're going to be the ones to uh, to follow but i think the thing that's going to be difficult is is how effective are the tests and the quarantine procedures and everything else to make sure these players are safe because we're talking about from now a four to six to maybe eight week time span between when um, Germany's going to kick off and all these other leagues are going to kick off. And that may not be long enough to really understand, you know, are they be protecting these players from the virus? You've got a two week, three week incubation period before you really start to know what's going on. So you will have to see. In I wonder terms what's going to happen if they have actually a player. I wonder if they have a player that tests positive. So let's say that Marcus Rashford tests positive. All right, the second game of the season. Do you have to play your next game with academy players? Do you quarantine the entire team? What happens if he, he tests positive on a Monday, the day after they played Chelsea on a Sunday? What what do they do in that situation? I think they've yeah. been tracking these guys for weeks. I think I I don't think you're going to start next week and say. So and so tested positive. I, I I don't think you're going to be there. I I think they've been in isolation for 21 days. I think the way this needs to be thought and planned out is there needs to be 21 days of you're isolated. We're starting at this point. We're going to gradually go into small training sessions to bigger training sessions, and and then that's the thing is is we're going to start in training sessions with four players. If one of the four tests positive because we've had them isolated for three weeks, great, all four are out. It, 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 this is a thing where you can't just put everyone on the field at once. That, that's why they're starting with the small individual training sessions. And I think this started before, that, before what we know now. I think this started three to four weeks ago saying, hey, we're going to start on this date. Do not go out. Do not talk to anyone. Do not do anything. And then we're going to try to prevent th that – type of disaster of saying Marcus Rashford walks into training six weeks into the season, I have COVID. Hmm. Matt, did you see where all the, uh, the captains got together uh, on, on a call and expressed their concern about uh, player safety? Um, and really, 
the the captains of the Premier League teams really said, hey, man, I don't think that you guys are really have our best interest at heart. I just think you're wanting to rush this out and start playing. And um, I, I'm not real confident in the protocols that you're putting forward. Uh, uh, Matt, you kind of err on the on the side of caution, and you, I feel like you're kind of a uh, a player's advocate. Um, when when you read about that, what do you think about uh, what the captains are saying? Yeah, I mean, it, it we're we're still at a point where across the U.S., across Europe, where cases are starting to spike back up again. You look at Germany, where they're going to kick off this weekend. I think they've actually had a massive spike over the last week and they're now talking about you know tightening restrictions again so you start to look at this and you wonder you know are we really putting ourselves in the best situation to keep ourselves safe and healthy so what what what's really the benefit of trying to cram a bunch of games into a four to six week time period other than money you know we if the the safe logical thing to me would be let's wait to see what this looks like in the fall um and then we start playing again. So I think, you know, it makes sense from a player's perspective. Like, what do I have to gain um, from playing these all these games in a short time period and put myself at risk of getting paycheck. sick? Or... A paycheck, man. I think those guys aren't getting paid. And that's a lot of yeah. money. Go yeah. ahead, okay. Well, and here's the thing, too, is you're looking at players that are going to get, you know, they're on four to $5 million contracts at the last three months of the, their contract, or whatever it might be. And now you're looking at 30 different teams at 700, 800 million. Divide, divide the money at stake between a player playing the next nine games and a club playing the next nine games. Mm-hmm. Exponential. Yeah, yeah so I, it, it's definitely all about the money. I saw where the London mayor, Saeed uh, Khan, he opposes the Premier League starting. Uh, you know, and now – and this is the big question I wanted to ask both of you guys. Um, the bottom six have gotten together and say, hey, listen, we really don't want to play because three of us are going to get relegated. But we're definitely not going to play, not going to agree to it if you're going to make us play in neutral stadium. So now it looks like they're actually going to play home games just like the schedule uh, rolls out. Um, do you think that's a wise move, Matt? Wise move to try to for the for the bottom six to not play. No, for uh, to, to play home games in the home uh, in the home stadium. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, I I don't know. It's it's going to be really interesting to see how these neutral site, um, you know, games how, how it affects the game. Like, you know, crowd atmosphere and, and that home advantage. You know, is is such a big deal. You know, I. Are you really getting true home advantage um, when you're still quarantined from your family? I I don't know. It, it's it, this is such wild west territory right now with all this. I don't know how much that home field advantage is really going to matter heading into this. BK, as a player, would you would how would you feel about for one, you're not playing in front of any fans, and that's one thing. But then if you say, hey, listen, you know uh, you can't play any of your games at CBC anymore. You got to play all of them at John Burroughs. Uh, would that would that make any difference to you as a player? Yeah, I mean, we – so, when, glory days. When I played at SAUE, our conference had a rule that one year the women would play first, the next year the men would play first. And when we played home games, the women requested to play first because – say what you want, but we have more people there. And 
when we played first, you know, people would come to watch the men's game. The first 15, 20 minutes of the women's game was great. And then everyone jump. left. And then yeah. when they flipped that, you know, toward the end of the women's game, we had more people there to watch the women, you know, the last 30 minutes of the women and cheer on the men. Um, you know, the crowd makes a difference. There's, there's a difference between playing in front of people and playing in front of no one. Whether you grab onto the negative vibes or the positive vibes, there, there's a vibe when people are there. Um, what I think you need to do is, you know, what kind of the NHL might be talking about is there's going to be five cities that we all play in. It's going to be kind of like the Olympics. And then that, and that's what the Olympics does. It's like if you want to come see an Olympic sport, you need to come to one of these four cities or this one city to watch all of it. Um, I think the way the World Cup does it as well. Exactly. And I I think the biggest thing, especially when you're dealing with the virus like this, is you need to limit exposure. And I think reducing travel limits that. And they're not going to do that. Plus, I don't care what you say. Liverpool hasn't won the title in 30 years. They win the title. Uh, people are going to want to get together somewhere and celebrate. Oh, they're going to the bar. They're going to uh, celebrate. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be even worse than um, Leicester. Yeah, I mean, so too. So I, I just don't think it's going to work. And then compound that. So now we got Bundesliga starting this weekend, um, and we have La Liga getting ready to uh, practice. They're getting ready to start their season off. And then we just read today where the Italian league is going to be starting their season too. So. We got seasons uh, starting up, boys, and uh, I know there's a whole lot to talk about and a whole lot of uh, what if. But at the end of the day, I cannot wait to watch some footy in the Bundesliga, and I just hope uh, that we get to see the boys in red. Now, um, uh, the other day, uh, I recorded this on my DVR. They they showed the Manchester United Manchester City uh, match, the two nil match with the time they scoring the goal late and. Man, that just gets your your blood pumping and your juices flowing. You can't wait to watch our boys, especially with Pogba and Rashford healthy right now. So, really excited about that, Matt. Let's talk a little a uh, little bit about uh, Manchester United now moving on, and we're going to talk about some possible signings, possible departures here. So, first, um, the uh, Lyon striker Musa Dembale who we could have got for about $30 million less if we would have signed him from Celtic, but we didn't. And so now he's at Lyon, and supposedly we are very, very confident, confident in signing him. Uh, I, United, by the way, we can field eight teams from all of the players we're going to sign, of course. But if we do sign him, do we go ahead and sign Gallo as well, or do you think Gallo goes ahead and leaves to go to Tottenham? Uh, what are your well, on that. Well, I, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I, I, I think you can sign a Gallo and, and, and still – I don't think it's going to hurt if you bring in um, Dembele. Um, I, I would personally rather see us – if I had to pick one or the other, I'd rather see us bring, keep a, a Gallo. Um, I, I think Dembele is probably the more upside to him, obviously, where they're at in their career. But I think when you start to look at up top, if we're going to bring in Sancho and – you got Greenwood and, and Rashford and Martial and, and, and James. You got all these young guys that we've already got. You know, you start throwing into Bailey, that's really going to start to crowd the mix. And Bailey's at age and, and a skill level. He's not going to want to sit on the bench behind those guys. Whereas Gallo, you know, he's just thrilled to be at Manchester United. He just wants to be a part of the team and, 
and play his part. So the guy's an incredible sub for us to have on the bench and bring in late. So if I have to pick between the two, I'm So, or, um, Igalo, um, but you know, it's, it's the Bailey's going to have to be patient. If we bring him on, he's not going to get to start right away. PK, you know, at some point it's okay to go with youth. And, and, and I, I feel like now uh, players across Europe want to come to Manchester United because of uh, the strategy Manchester United is employing. And Ole is really nurturing youth. But at some point, you've got to bring in some players that have experience and are veterans. And if you just bring in youth, 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 at some point, I feel like it just tilts the balance. And so Igalo, I think, might be the better choice. With that being said, would you sign Jaden Sancho, even though he's only, what, 20 years old? I think Sancho is a great fit, and and that's the thing that we've we've said the past two or three years of not being deep enough. You know, Pogba gets hurt, we're screwed. Uh, Rashford gets hurt, we're screwed. Now we have a Gallo that can kind of fill in for Rashford. Uh, McTominay was a great surprise. Uh, you, you see what Bruno can do filling in now. Um, that that was my whole thing the last couple of times was. We were thin. Um, I would love to see us sign Igalo. I think bringing in Dabale is just going to clog things. Igalo's got two or three years left. Uh, you know, two or three years later, Greenwood's our guy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's you, you have to sign these guys looking two to three years in the future because our youth core is so solid. So solid. So I agree with you on that. By the way, you mentioned Bruno. Did you see where Benfica came out, um, Sporting came out and said if they would try to sign Bruno now, they could have signed him for $20 million because of the coronavirus. Whatever. Um, I, I think it's uh, you, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, my dad always told me that, hey, you know, uh, you buy something that goes on sale, you know, were you happy when you bought it? Yeah, I was happy when I bought it. Okay, then fine. It was a good deal. So um, I'm thrilled about that. And I think that's all conjecture anyway. So, uh, uh, Matt, I want to move on to talking about uh, Manchester United. They, they did a little a study to see which player was the best two-footed player. Uh, so who was United's most two-footed player? All right. And so uh, Mason Greenwood, of course, uh, is is pretty good at that. But interestingly enough, when you look at the stats, the two most two-footed players turn out to be pretty interesting, don't you think? Yeah, who would have thought it would have been Fred? <laughs> but, I know, you know, I, 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 know. I, well, you know, I, I think... Passes 30 yards instead of 60 yards. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I, I honestly would have thought I, I would have thought Mata would have been higher up on the list. You know, I think Mata, when we yeah. think of Mata, we think just a really, you know, tight ball control, you know, can can make a pass with both feet and he doesn't turn over very often. He just seems very confident when it comes to those basic skills. So I would have thought he would have been higher on the list. But um, good to see Brian Williams up there as, as number two as well. You know, we've been really – we haven't gotten to see a ton of him yet. Um, but that's that's good to see that one of the young kids is showing quite a bit of skill already. And really, if you look at the last, if it, yeah, if you look at Fred's last games, and we we've really done nothing but praise how well he's played. So he's starting to find his own a little bit. I don't think he's a long term plan, but you know, kind of kind of nice to see him actually get some recognition there. Yeah, uh, Brandon Williams uh, 
TK, do you think he is the uh, right back of the future for Manchester United? I think he's a wing back of the future. I think he can play either side. I mean, we're looking at the chart right now. Um, you know, it's pretty even, left and right foot. Um, mm-hmm. he's, he's a smart soccer player. He knows how to get the job done. He'll make do as is, and he's super competitive. But just seeing the stats where he's at right now, like, yeah, he, he he's that guy that, you know, we need to make a sub. We can move him from the left to the right or the right to the left. So, He's uh mm-hmm. he's gonna make his money on being a pretty utility player. Well, I liked it as well. So, anyway, I thought that was a pretty interesting thing. I saw that on Manchester United website. We're talking about youth here, guys. Angel Gomes, uh, Angel Gomes, by the way, is getting ready uh, uh, to sign a new contract. The problem is it may not be with Manchester United. Uh, we've talked about this all season, so I want to get both your perspectives on this because Angel Gomes is a phenomenal talent. And only all about playing youth. If you can play, he's put in. And for some reason, he's not putting Angel in the lineup. So if we're going youth and really focusing on that, how come Angel Gomes can't get, it, get some first-team minutes? PK, start with you. We're starting to get clogged at that midfield position, which is a great problem to have. McTominay stepped up, which we did not expect. Um, we've got Bruno in, Fernandez, who is – gangbusters. Pogba, it, it looks like, I mean, we haven't heard anything about the Pogba leaving or staying or anything like that. So assuming he's healthy, he's in our midfield. Um, there's just not a spot for him. You know, maybe put him on loan for a season or two. I think the kid wants to play. He's good enough to go play somewhere. Um, Matez, bring him back. Matt? He's 19. You know, and, and I say that in, in light of Greenwood, who's, who's younger, but Greenwood's a phenom. You know, when Ali when talked about Greenwood shortly after he took over, he said he was best finisher on the team. So that, that's, that's, a, that's a whole different deal in itself. But, you know, Gomez is 19 years old. He, he's got a lot of raw talent. I think that's the thing. It's raw talent at this point. Um, you know, the, Ali and the, and the management staff see him in training every single day. They, they see what he does in the game better detail than we do. Sure, he's probably not performing at a consistent level for them to feel comfortable with him going out there. He looks like we're in front of him. He's not going to get ahead of them then. So I get it. He's young. He's eager. He's been having people tell him since he was 13 years old he's probably the next big thing, and he's struggling to crack through the first team, and he probably does great when he plays for the for the, uh, for the reserve side and for, for the youth side for United. And he's probably looking for his time to play, but you know, it's not going to happen at United right now. He could probably go on and play for a mid table, lower table team and, and maybe, and, and do okay. But obviously I think it, he's more raw talent at this point than really the kid that we're ready to take them on like we would agree with. You know, uh, it's pretty interesting because you know, we have uh, Hannibal uh, memory who's going to be a superstar. He's a phenomenal player. And you know, we got some other youth players that are really knocking on the door. And I read an article where teams around Europe now, because they know they cannot compete with the Premier League or with the big money signing, they're going to start taking on that Dortmund model where they're going to try to sign those players to their first contract coming off youth side and tell them, hey, you know, you can sit on the bench a couple more years. You can play first football, maybe Champions League football, and get a big payday because you're going to play right away. And so I see that. Um, you're talking about uh, Jaden Sancho. Uh, 
there's a guy, if we can't find him, um, Ryan Giggs talked about a kid from Schalke, a guy named Robbie uh, Montendo. And that's the guy. He's a young guy, and he's a poor man, Jaden Sancho. And so they're talking about signing him as well. So anyway, though, I just wanted to throw those couple names at, at you as well. Um, but anyway, like I said, I thought those were some, some fun things there. But there is an Academy superstar that I wanted you guys to talk about here. And this guy is named Sholo Short, Shortier, or Show Retire. All right, forgive me for not, uh, not being uh, up on his name. But there's some pretty interesting things to talk about with this guy. And this is a, a Nigerian kid that's only 16 years old, and I, he's going to get first in football as well. Um, youngest player ever to be featured in the UEFA Youth League match. All right, at 14 years uh, in the under 19. So that was pretty cool. Um, you guys, you know, we got all these young players coming up. TK, you're talking about one of the things that you talked a lot about was layering talent to where, you know, you got some coming, you got some coming, you got some coming. And I think what happened after um, Sir Alex Ferguson is we didn't layer our talent. It sure looks like we're doing that now, though. Yeah, you, you look at, you looked at, under the Fergie era, we had the guy that was our guy. We had the guy that used to be our guy, and we had the guy that was going to be our guy. And um, you're, you're starting to see a little bit of that mold of, <clears throat> you know, this is our guy that's going to start 90% of our games. There was a guy that used to start 90% of our games who's going to fill in those games, you know, like a Matic. Um and then mm -hmm. I have McTominay, who's going to fill in the, the front part. And you're starting to see that filter in. Um, you know, under under Bengal, under Josie, it, it was the best that we were – we could find. You know, we're just hiring guys to come fill these roles. But now you're oh, seeing – yeah. Um, <laughs> but you're seeing kind of a, a filtration, but – for the future we're not trying to win this year we're trying to be a stable club the next couple and we haven't done that since fergie left i think so too matt uh you see these like you know what we're doing these these layered this layered talent stuff and then if you read like a sancho a bellingham maybe even a jack Grealish, you bring in that would be the ultimate three for me you bring those in and man Manchester United is starting to uh, make some noise in the Champions League, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think these are the type of players who can do well in the Premier League. And I think, it, you know, with Sancho, he's got his experience with City. Um, and then Bruno's already shown what he can do in um, in the Premier League. He's he's had success in other parts of Europe. So you're, you're bringing in players who can compete in both. And I think that's been a bit of the problem for a while there for United was I think we had a lot of really good Premier League players there towards the end of the Fergie era. But we once we started matching up against Barcelona, Real Madrid, and, and the likes of them, we really started to struggle in Europe. And I think now the type of talent we're going after is a bit more flexible and they can play in both. And I think that's really crucial and key for our success in, in both of those campaigns is to try to focus on bringing in players that can adapt to different types of games. Yeah. So, well, so anyway, I, I like the future of Manchester United. I like where we're going here, boys. So, uh, PK, by the way, if you would uh, bring up that uh, our the article that we're going to be coming up with in just a bit about the top five worst, and so maybe you can share <laughs> your screen with that, all right? Because that's going to be pretty fun to talk about. I like that. But before we do that, uh, 
I think that Tottenham has their version of Angel Di Maria now, uh, unfortunately. Dali Ali was broken into, uh, got a, a punch in the head, and um, uh, was, uh, was robbed uh, in London. And it just makes you wonder that uh, how these players, they're such public figures, how this doesn't happen more often, really. Don't you think, Matt? Yeah, I was just thinking, it seems to happen more often over in Europe, especially with these players, than it does here in the U.S. You don't hear all too often of, you know, an NBA player's um, house getting broken into or, or you know, major league baseball player. But, you know, I don't know if it's the makeup of the cities. You know, when, when you're talking L.A., or, you know, with a lot of the stars there, you know, they're kind of isolated in their own part, and there's a lot of security and, and, and police and everything. And, you know, in London, I imagine a lot of these players probably live closer into the city. And so maybe it's just the, the you know, the, the dynamic of where they live. I don't know. So it is strange to see that happens over there more often. Um, it, you know, it sounds like Ollie had top of the line everything in terms of security, and this guy still figured out a way to get in. So it's pretty scary, and you hate to see it happen. Yeah, so – I think that's it. That is pretty interesting. By the way, I wanted to throw this in uh, on a high note, and then we're going to get to our next piece with PK to start with. 25 years ago today, gentlemen, who won the Premier League? Any takers? I'm not going to map. Was it 95? 25 years ago today. Was 95 the uh, Blackburn League season? I was going to yes, say Blackburn. Sir, well done. Blackburn Rovers, the Blackburn Rovers, which just goes to show how difficult it is to stay up in the Premier League, to be competitive in the Premier League. And they, uh, I read an article about how their facilities were terrible, but they had great team leadership. Uh, Kenny um, Dalish, uh, the former Liverpool man, was their was their manager and was was an excellent manager for them. And uh, on the final day, the final day, um, they. Blackburn played Liverpool and uh, United. I think that that game they lost to Liverpool. And if United beat West Ham, they become champions, and all they could do was tie. And so Blackburn became champions. So yeah, I like. All right, so I thought that was pretty. It's one of yeah, those. What's that? The, well, it's it's the Leicester City of the of the nineties. Like okay, well yeah, mm-hmm. top four, top four, top four. What the hell? Top four, top four. Yeah, it's always funny right. when you see a visual Premier League winners around that time. It was United, 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 Chelsea, United, Arsenal, United, United, and then you got Blackburn just kind of <laughs> randomly in the. Yeah. In the middle. They definitely, they definitely stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah, no doubt. So, hey, uh, so PK, this next bit, man, I I really enjoyed because we had a poll going up in uh, in our. I like in, how you uh, called me out on one of those polls too, like. PK threw it up on you. <laughs> That's right. But it was a very ugly kit. And, uh, but it did look like he threw up, you know, after a late night in Sular. But, so the three new kits that are leaked out <laughs> are just god-awful, which is why I went ahead and bought my Gary Neville kit. You know, they're just horrible. But, there, so there's an article, and PK, let's see if you could share your screen on this. This is from uh, the United Fan. And uh, I don't know if PK can, can share this or not. But uh, it's, right. it, uh, it's pretty cool. You got it? Uh, I'm just going to put it up to my camera, maybe. Okay, good deal. All right. So what we have here is the top five worst <laughs> Manchester United kits. Uh, 
You got to take your background off. You got to take your background off, PK. Oh, all right. Hold on. It, it bleeds in with it. Yeah, it bleeds in with that. With that. All right. But it's the top five worst Premier League kits. All right. And boys, I tell you what, we'll be we'll have some ugly kits if we have those three. So this is the first one right here that PK's showing up. This is the 2012-2013 kit. I like with the Robin Van Persie. Oh, Robin Van Persie. You know what I liked about them? Because they look like tablecloths. Do you know where tablecloths go? Top of the table. Beat me to it. You beat me to it. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody, somebody, I heard that line before the season started, and we we lived up to the the claim that that was pretty awesome. It's it's hard to hate. I actually like this one. I like this one. It's hard to hate a kit when you win a title in it. So, you know, we it's, it reminds me of like St. Louis FC. We all hated the first year shirt. Now it's kind of become one of those things that you love. When it first came out, it you know, I, I know they were trying to go with like, you know, kind of a, a kilt northern England sort of pattern. They're trying to pay homage to the past. It got lost on a lot of people, unfortunately, and, and they started saying it would look like a picnic table cover. So I liked it. Um, I didn't think it was all that bad. And it, Van Persie looked really good in it holding up the, the uh, title show. That, that, that kit always reminds me of uh, Dame, uh, Darian, Darian Baez. So that, that, yep. That's the kid he worked mm-hmm. on. He loves that kit. So, all right, PK, what's the next one? So the next one is, is in the top three, top three favorite kits. Top three <laughs> favorite. They say it's one of the top five worst. Okay, PK. I absolutely love this kit. Okay. And that is false goals, of course. This is, is the blue kit. All right. The sharp blue air kit. kit. Umbro. Stripes. What you, I like this kit. What do you guys think? Do you like this kit? I, it's it's in my top three. Yeah, I think that kit that kit is sharp. Yeah, man. Like the ninety six, ninety seven, the the classic Cantona with the kind of the black checker there. That yeah. one, and then the uh, the Umbro down the sleeve, the ninety nine, and then this one. Like I, that's a great kit. You like that kit? Yeah, I don't. I, I don't. I don't understand the hate for it. Uh, you know, a lot of the '90s kits, and we'll we'll see one later on. Were a bit obnoxious and over the top of some of the things they did. This one is actually pretty classy. You know, just a straight blue, which has been a United color for for a very very long time. And the stripes. It's it's a pretty uh, basic kit. I don't. I don't hate it. I like that. Okay, so it's number three. This is the 2001-2002 third kit. Well, this is garbage. Yeah. Garbage. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? And it's uh, as a call, it's a uh, uh, you could buy it where you could like it reversible, the reversible kit. That's garbage. And it would be like a yeah, it was a white kit on the other side. All right. So now was and, was uh, that a golden? Was that a golden anniversary year or something weird? Like we, yeah, it is. I don't, is it okay? It was awful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so. Uh, David Beckham called it golden balls. That's what he called it. He, so he did bad. not like that kit. They're so bad. I mean, those are goalie jerseys. Not no, you don't like that one? Uh, I like that one okay. I like that one okay. All right. But uh, I see your point there, though. And so, but anyway, I didn't like that one. Okay, PK, 95, 96 away. They're picking on your kits now, bud. Yeah, they're so bad that they they change uniforms at halftime. <laughs> there they are man okay they're so right. bad and they even talk about that yeah the photo doesn't even show the front of it 
that's how bad it is, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I do not like the, um, uh, the, uh, the font. Uh, I don't like the, 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 the numbers look weird. Matt, what do you think about that one, bud? It just, it, I don't know. it's, it's such a, it, it's a, it's a strange one. It doesn't, nothing about it. Like you said, I think the numbers is what bothers me the most. It just, there's nothing about that. This is a unique kit. The numbers is what's bothering me. All right. All right, PK, the number one ugliest kit, according to this article, the 92-93 away kit. And with I, the King of Cantonal there. Uh, this is an interesting look. Let's take a look. Awful. Awful. That that sums up the '90s kits, though. Oversized, massive graphics on them, really, really weird color choice. It's you know, like we we've done blue for a while, but that's just a so noxious blue and black. It's just it it that's that's '90s wrapped up in one kit well, right there. The primary kits were great during the '90s. I have you know a couple of Manchester United ones. I have a couple of Newcastle, my American League team ones, and the the secondary kits just turn into goalie jerseys and i love the 90s girls yeah goalie jerseys because the goalie jerseys back then were great oh They're my god those are so garish man those are just outrageous but uh those, yeah but yeah the secondary jerseys back in the 90s were just goalie kits it's something something else i do i kind of like that a little bit i'm not gonna lie i, I actually like that kit. i would say the worst kit of those five would be the 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 third kit, uh, the the gold kit, uh, the Vodafone kit. I think that yeah. might be the worst one. Those time. are bad. Those are so bad. But you're right, though. But I mean, during this time, there was just so many great kits that United wore, and uh, I hope that we you know we don't stray too far from our uh, our roots when we come out with our new kit this time. So, all right. Anyway, that was kind of fun, guys. I thought you would like that. Uh, the the next one. That's good. Though I think we're going to get some chatter on this, and I'm really curious to see what you guys have to say. Uh, PK, we'll start with you. Eric Cantona, nowhere near Andre's level, according to Sky Sport pundit Jamie Redknapp, and his claim that he is not in the same league. They're talking about the all-time greatest player of the Premier League. All right? And so he says, Cantona, not even in the same league. In fact, some other people say Dennis Burkamp might be the greatest player uh, in the history of the Premier League. All right, TK, weigh in. I, I, I'm going to catch some hate from my Manchester United friends. I agree. I, I think Thierry Henry was on a different level. He proved it at different levels, but different countries and different everything. Um, Thierry Henry, I, I think, is a better center striker than Cantona. Uh, off the pod. Off the pod. All right. I agree. No, I, I got to agree with PK. And, and I do have the collar flipped up in in honor of, of Cantona because I knew we were talking about him tonight. I, I think it's a fair statement, though, <laughs> because if you, if, if, you talk to, if you talk to any other – if you talk to a non-United fan, they're going to say Henri. They're not even – they're, they're not even going to debate it more than a second because for them there's no argument. Um, well, I think the with Barcelona with he was such a great player at Barcelona. Like I the, the way that United played when Cantona was at United, it, it suited him. It fit him. 
Henri found different ways to score at different clubs. And I, I don't think Pantano could have done that. Matt, do you think there's a better player uh, in the Premier League than Henri? I, I think Henri was – no, I think, I think Henri was, was the, the best player in the Premier League scene. I, I don't think we've seen anybody play like him. You know, the, and the longevity of his career, too, and how well he kept it up, I think that, that's what keep, puts him at the top for me. Okay, I'm going to ask you that. But what, 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 I was, what I was wanting to say about um, Cantona Wait. before I got cut off by PK – was that <laughs> it was it was that I, I think with United there's such a mystique about Cantona because he came in at a time when the, the club was definitely at a low point. Um, you know, Fergie was was at the risk of losing his job. And then came in this this guy with all this swagger and confidence and he could score just absolutely beautiful goals and things started to turn around. So I, I think with Cantona, he was he was an amazing player, one of the best United's ever had. But when you look at the list of the best players, um, the best players Premier League, Henri's at the top and Cantona's quite a bit down below. So, you know, it, it's more of a mystique and a love and the lore that surrounds Cantona that elevates our opinion of him. Well, nice. uh, that's, that's a good, Matt. Uh, you act like you went to Truman State or something. Uh, <laughs> hey, um, I, I think that, but okay, I, I want to throw this out here because, uh, you know, I'm, I, I bleed red. Wayne Rooney. Could you could you make the case that Wayne Rudy is the greatest player ever played in the Premier League? Yes. And I, I think because Manchester United asked him to play so many different roles and he did it so well. You you look at the players that you know we, we say are staples of, of the, the Premier League. Henry, he was always a forward. Rooney played forward. He played defensive mid. He played attacking mid. Um, you know, if, if there's a guy that you wanted to build a team around, Rooney was a guy because you didn't know what kind of game you were going into, and Rooney figured it out and, and we could play different positions within the same game. Um, power and pace, man. The definition of power and pace. 100%. Yeah, I think I think yeah, I, I think you could make an argument he's in the top five. I don't know if I would put him in top three, but you you can make an argument for he he belongs up near the top. I think he proved, especially later on in his career, he probably had the best soccer mind of anybody in the Premier League. Just the way he carried himself on the field, the way he could read the game and react and do things differently. Um I don't think there was anybody that was really better in terms of soccer smarts than than um than Rooney. I think we'd have a different opinion of Rooney if Tevez and Ronaldo had stuck around. I did see an article the other day talking about, was that the best front three ever in the Premier League? And I think it certainly was. And, and I think... You put Liverpool, that? that puts Liverpool's front three oh. to Pat. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think Rooney's career towards the end would have looked a lot different had he still had those guys around him i think he would have had a lot more goals he probably would have been healthier but as those guys went on more of the game fell on his shoulders and he kind of took a little bit of a back seat and started playing more of that deeper role well, and it, i think it, it, it just fault, became rudy's fault was he's a team player yep i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna make sure our team wins what's my role do i need to go score four goals do i need to uh, 
make sure this guy doesn't score three goals? Do I need to sit here and plug this hole and distribute from there? And that's what Rooney would do. And that's why I think he's probably in the top five best EPL players in the history of English Premier League. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy we're talking about. He beat Charlton's scoring record at both United and for England. I mean, that's that's insane, you know, and so that alone should be a reason to put him into that conversation. I think he also loses some of that um, support top is just because perspective. The guy wasn't always the most well-spoken guy when he was in front of the press. Um, you know, really, really rough background growing up had some controversy at different points in his career. Um, you know, the West Ham game where he ran up to, or maybe it was Villa is one of the two where he runs the camera and he starts screaming, what fucking what, you know, he, he, he always played with this chip on his shoulder that was good, but it also did not endear him to, to even United fans. He's arguably, you, you can make the case he's the greatest United player ever. And, but people don't want to jump on that bandwagon because of, just the guy he was. So I, I think he doesn't get appreciated to the level he deserves to be because of that. And he's always been endearing to me because, I mean, I, I, as much as I talk soccer, hockey's my favorite sport. And I always refer to Wayne Rooney as a hockey player that mm-hmm. played yep. hockey. Yeah, that was one of the reasons why I fell in love with United, too, was, was watching Rooney play. He just balls out and, you know, and a lot, of that, a, a lot of that went away, you know, towards the end of his career because of just – age and players around him leaving but when I first started watching was when Ronaldo was there and just like holy cow it was insane seeing what he was doing oh man just and like you say his uh, uh football IQ is just amazing guys we're going to end right now on uh, on the local front uh, PK uh, this is an interesting development and, I, and uh, it's a reorganization of the uh, MLS development league and I, and I think this is a kind of a big deal where SDLFC Academy um, I guess that would be Scott Gallagher's academy mm-hmm. would now be part of the MLS player development platform. Um, American soccer right now, I think right now we're kind of a donut. We had these great guys, Landon Donovan and, and uh, oh, uh, uh, Bradley. And some of those guys now are starting to, to phase out, uh, Clint Dempsey. Uh, but now we have this young group coming in here that's really exciting. We really don't have that mid-level group. But behind the, the, all these young players, we have a ton of great players coming in behind them as well. What do you think of this realignment, PK, and, and how this is going to affect SKLFC? So there, it's interesting, and I, I think there's a lot of marketing to it where I wasn't around during the academy thing. And, and academy was you're going to play soccer and all that. Um, I think this validates and draws more interest in younger players to the MLS. Um, I think we have more players, quality players playing abroad than we've ever had. And people want to complain about the academy system. It's worked. It is 100% worked. Um, There's a lot of people in St. Louis that will say, you know, well, they should be playing high school soccer. High school soccer doesn't matter. Like, you know, I played at CBC. It was great. I had a great coach. But most around the country, no one cares about high school soccer. Um, seeing the, the academy program go to the MLS, I think it just it draws more of a lure to the whole development system of playing in the United States to play for the MLS, 
to be a part of that. They're kind of copying the hockey thing. you got the junior blues. You've got so many junior leagues that are, you know, developing players at a high rate. Soccer starting to take from that. And I think the way that we're producing players at the European level that are starting to go over there that might stay here, I think it's a great idea. Um, I think it kind of monopolizes the whole MLS thing. I think there's going to be a lot of small towns that are going to lose um, great players because of it. I think that's a project of it. Um, I, I think the United States is close to doing the whole solidarity, solidarity rights, which needs to happen to support the, the smaller clubs that are producing talent. Um, I'm all for it. I, I think it's a great step in U.S. soccer. I'm all for it. Matt, if you had to pick today what the MLS St. Louis team name would be, would it have to have United, FC, Sporting, or Atletico in it? <laughs> uh, is there a fourth option? Because I really don't want any of those in there. None of those. So, so – so you're a Steamers guy. You want to be the St. Louis Steamers. No, now, no. Hutch is no. a retired St. Louis FC player. One-day contract, yes. You're right, though, man. You're right, yeah. Yeah. The only so – That's why I'm asking I, you that. I, I, I like simple. So I'm a little chilly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't like doing the sporting and that sort of thing, Real, whatever. I, I, I don't like that. Let's, let's kind of come up with our own thing. I, I don't like United. I think it's overused. Um, United is to be used when it's a consolidation of clubs, which is what happened a lot over in Europe. So Manchester United was a consolidation of clubs um, that were across the city. I, I think something simple like Arch City FC, I think I would I could get behind. I think something simple, a little bit different than what the rest league is doing. Um, you know, I just I, I hope we keep it simple. I don't want steamers. I think that's its own thing of the past. St. Louis Stars, it's it's a little hokey and corny. I know it'd be homage to the past. I, you know, I don't I don't know. Well, but we whatever had the they, Stars in New York at the beginning of yeah, the week. Yeah, I want to I want to jump back on the on the academy thing. I, I don't know the academy system as well as PK does, but we are right now I think as the U.S. producing players at a at a young players at a greater rate than we have maybe ever, and I think. A lot of it is because the popularity of the sport. You've got kids are starting to choose soccer um, yeah, over playing, playing soccer. Yeah, yeah, and we've talked about that forever. Soccer was always fifth, sixth choice for kids, and now it's becoming one of the first choice. So naturally, we're getting better athletes. What's always made me nervous, especially when you look at Pulisic and Sargent and all these other young kids come through, is you don't have good coaching and good player management and player development around them compared to the rest of the world. I think what this move does is start to get us in that direction. It does set up something a little bit different than what we've done in the past. And it's a step forward to the future and, and gets us caught up. Maybe what's going on in Europe. We've always been behind and that's why our best players have gone over to Europe. So maybe this is going to be one of those things that's going to incentivize players to stay home, knowing that they've got a chance to potentially get to MLS a little bit sooner because they're a part of that pipeline. So I, I, I think it's the first good step I've seen from U.S. soccer in a very, very long time when it comes to youth development. Well, and I think, PK, I think part PK, of it. I, I, want to, I want to say that, jump in and, and you add, add this. Um, because MLS plays in, in such an odd time, we play March through November, 
will MLS ever be a big time league because they play that odd schedule as opposed to what Europe does? I, I think they're going to overtake baseball. I, I really do. I truly do. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I think we're 10 years away from that. Um, you're not going to compete against the NFL right now. And, and that that's a juggernaut. I mean, NFL's August to February. You're not going to win TV money from that. Um, that being said. I disagree. You don't think you're going to win NFL money right now? Not now, but I, I could see in the next 10 years it starts to catch up. I think as concussions and I think the league is getting – is I think the league right now, the NFL, I think is bloated, fat, and corrupt. I mean, you look at Kroenke, what's going on with the L.A. deal right now. He's having to ask for more money for that stadium. It's That whole thing's falling apart. So, yeah, I think there's well, a lot know, of things going against seeing, the NFL seeing, right now. You're seeing high schools have to consolidate football teams. Yep. So, there's a little bit of that. I think uh, – a little bit of soccer is you're going to, you're going to pinpoint coaching. And that w- that was always our problem is you, you had, you know, South Dakota high school soccer. It was a coach trying to get an extra hundred bucks on his paycheck. Doesn't know anything about soccer. Now you've got mm-hmm. pointed good coaching with a new MLS Academy system and all that stuff. So we'll see how that ends up. Well, guys, I tell you what, man, it's been a great show. I, I really enjoyed talking about uh, SCLFC, talking about uh, all the things about Manchester United, uh, those kits. Uh, that was a, that was a blast to talk about. And then, of course, uh, the big thing is next week we're going to be able to talk about something about uh, footy in Europe. So I think that's going to be a blast as well. So, all right, guys, uh, that's the sounds of Manchester's own Stone Roses letting us know. We're at the end of the show. I'm your host, Red Oldham, along with Patrick Kelly PK and Matt the Dealer Hutchinson. Ryan Cass out there on assignment. We'll be back next week with another installment of the St. Louis Army Podcast. We'll break down uh, all things footy, things united, all things going on in the world of football. Thanks for joining us. And remember, glory, glory, man united.